Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars, if I had well, a million dollars, I'm Tom Andrew on the board, S&P Futures. We'll get them in a minute. I'm checking in to see if the, if the Fed... Uh, SP Futures up 25, Nasdaq Futures up 73, Dow Futures up 215. Lou, I can hear you, bud. Are you, are you with us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Loud and clear, by the way. There we go. Loud and clear. What? Uh, so what, uh, I'm reading something here about how Russia somehow or another is, it, what's the exact headline, something about uh, Russia is uh, making great progress, we're getting, getting allies in the... Uh, it's not a pretty picture. Russia's support is growing in the in the developing world. Why is that? Or is that true? Um, well, some of it some of it is true because uh, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, um, a couple of other states are starting to make their transactions done in something other than dollars, and as part of the fealty that they have to pay to the Chinese for money going into their developing you know their developing economies they they are going to have to start to support Chinese foreign policy goals and Chinese foreign policy goals at least at this stage are to support are to support Russia which is opposed to the US the Chinese are playing a, a fairly straightforward although long term uh, play, play here and, and and effectively saying look if you're against the United States, we're we're for you, because because we are supplanting the United States in the international realm. This is their move, for example, in in brokering a quote peace deal unquote between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, they're doing it with money. Uh, they're pumping hundreds of billions of dollars into these developing economies with things like their Belt and Road program and their te- their cellular telephone support programs in Africa. And, and as part of that, they are demanding, you know, look, you take an, op- an, op- an opposition to the West, you know, to the colonial powers that, that, you know, that dominated you. And many of those were, were Western, you know, Western European and United States, uh, United States culture. And, and so they're, they're pushing that. Um, they, don't and, have any, they don't have any money. Who doesn't have any money? Well, the Chinese are... They just shut their place down for three years. They, they, they're not paying on a lot of their loans. I mean, where are they getting the dough? They're, they're, they're pumping money into these economies, um, and and pumping development into these economies on, on their on their terms, and and so this is I, I look at this as you know pure, you know pure economics. The, the other side of the coin, of course, is is Russia's energy, um, you know energy output. 
Yeah, and the Russians, I mean, this is why India still has been has been basically neutral. They're buying cheap, you know, cheap Russian gas and uh and, and they're not gonna come out and say, you know, Russians are, are basically uh, committing uh war crimes in Ukraine as long as the as long as the gas pump is open. I mean the the we're not talking about a bunch of places and, and, and I I'm not a fan of 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 Biden's foreign policy in, in any respect because I think he's dropped he historically he's been on the wrong side of, of virtually every foreign policy issue there is. I do think that they're they're prosecuting the Ukrainian situation about as well as, as you can under the circumstances. But you know, the rest of this we we have to we have to understand that notwithstanding our view of, of Western liberal democracy and Western liberal culture, a significant part of the third, second and third world does not look at the way we operate, uh, and especially given what's being put on their, new, on their uh, computer screens these days. The rest of the world does not look at the way we operate as a model. And, and the idea that, you know, you've got to give, you know, we, we should be pushing toward more tolerance and more... Um, more acceptance of a variety of things that are considered, quite frankly, in the, most of the developing world as perversions, uh, simply undercuts their or, or underscores their um, emphasis on on things like, look, we're not going to support we're not going to support a, a Western liberal democracy just because we like Western liberal democracy. This is a this is a this actually is more your territory. These are purely mercenary kinds of you know, kinds of positions. Well, I think for our people who <clears throat> who foolishly think, um, and I, I, I uh, you know, m- remember the, uh, the Star Trek episode with uh, Joan Collins on it? It's probably was the, the, the probably the best original Star Trek episode where the uh, uh, Spock and or well, McCoy jumps through this time machine. And comes back, and all of a sudden, everything, everything in the world, everything, the, the Enterprise was gone. I don't know if you saw this one or not. The Enterprise was gone, and the, and the big machine says, everything you know in the world has changed. It, it doesn't exist. Because McCoy came back, and Jill Collins was a, a peace advocate in the Bronx somewhere, and she uh, kept us out of the war long enough for Germany to develop the atomic bomb, so Germany won, so everything changed. So they had to go back. Men in the high castle scenario. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the the point was that Spock says that she was absolutely right. She was just too early. And I think what you're talking about, Lou, is very straightforward. While we have people here, and by the way, I don't, I don't like, I like the idea that Chicago is a hell of a lot cleaner air than it was 30 years ago. I mean, it's, I like the idea that a lot of the waters are cleaner here and people don't pollute as much. But for for somebody who just goes off on that tangent and doesn't realize that for the time being, right now, oil and natural gas are are the are the, are the strength parts of the world when you're dealing with other people, they, they got to get a grip. Well, I mean, they got to get a grip. It, it, it's it's too early for this. We we know where that's where we want to go, but it's too early. Of course, it is and and we're going to force. Well, again, you and I have had this conversation, and I keep saying this for the show. Ideology, ideologues are people who, when reality slaps them in the face and says, your plan or your worldview 
is wrong, they double down. And that, that's what you see happening in places like California and a number of other big cities. I want to stop for just a second, because I don't want to forget this, and I will, and just acknowledge yesterday was Vietnam, um, whatever they call it, it's, it's an unofficial holiday, but an unofficial uh, uh, event. But the, the Vietnam Day, uh, marking the 50 years since the last U.S. combat forces left, left Vietnam. Um, I, I remember this vividly in 1973 because I was a high school senior about to enter the Air Force Academy. So do I. And, um, you know, that war for many of us, that war was the seminal, you know, conflict of our, of our generation. And, and it's difficult now for people in the, in the, you know, sort of the era of social media where, you know, an idea can catch fire run for three or four days or, or a couple of weeks and then burn out it's difficult for people to understand how this one event captured you know an entire the, the culture of an entire country or of the entire country for you know a decade it it it's amazing to to think about that and what it meant and just to give you some context we, you know, if you go to the if you go to the wall the memorial in uh, in D.C., I think there's a little over fifty thousand names on it, um, and and I mean it's been an ongoing project to to complete it, in the sense that they've they've been adding names and 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 doing corrections on the thing for uh, pretty much from the day it was it was put up, um, fifty thousand plus names, in Ukraine, the Russians have lost estimates are now roughly twice that number in combat deaths in in less than a year and uh it it it's a sobering reminder of both you know how that war altered our culture and altered our military the u.s military establishment was you know fired uh, the, the junior officers who fought in vietnam became the senior officers who when the next time we made a major uh, push with our combat forces, which was uh, Gulf War One, you know those guys had all fought in Vietnam. They had all seen the restraints and the restrictions placed on our combat power, and uh, the, it, it affected. It's affected our view of how we employ uh, our national, you know, our national hard power. Well, Lou, um, it's pretty hard to have an all-out war when you call it a police action. Well, Korea was a police action. I don't recall Vietnam being. It was, it was something. Action. It was damn near the same thing. I mean, we were. Well, it, was, it was less. It was less than total war, and and it was it was a, but you know again I'm. I, I'm a Clausewitzian, which means I I subscribe to the tenets of, of of Clausewitz, and and you know the basic, the basic tenet of Clausewitz is war is political activity. Just done on a on a separate, you know, a separate table, and and all wars are political. All wars are subject to polit to political control. They have to be. They got they it. We want it. Let's take it, Mike Royko. That's right. Yeah, they have they have political ends. You know, you don't you don't muster the the power of the state for for anything other than a political a political objective. And I think I think Vietnam was was a classic example of muddled, you know, objectives and. You know, make it up as you go along, ad hoc, 
uh, strategizing and, and well, it, it ripped it ripped every yep. family apart. It ripped oh, this culture oh, apart. And, and people that are over the age of sixty, it's it's never left their life in some way no, or absolutely. other. I mean, I mean, I went to a campus. Every one of my instructors, every single one of my instructors in 1973, when I started at when I started at the Air Force Academy, every one of those guys was a veteran. Every one of them had been there. Most of them were were fighter or bomber pilots or uh, folks who had actually flown, you know, missions over North Vietnam and had been shot at, had their friends killed. Um, the um, the context for for that war permeated my classrooms uh, with with our instructors talking about you know here's where we made a mistake here's what we should have done here's where you know this is this is how we're going to fight differently next time um, here's how our political establishment failed to understand you know certain elements of, of you know Vietnam's culture and and what the fight was about I mean it it never left and and it stayed you know it stayed with me and with my with my classmates all the way through their military careers until we started you know retiring in the late 90s and uh, and early aughts but Lloyd, so, and on the military side i know you're you're absolutely correct cuz you were there but on the social side i don't think i've ever seen anything like it and what it just it just ripped whole things apart i mean i know my my mother who was a you know, I think one of the brightest people I've ever met. I mean, she didn't get a chance to go to college or anything, but I mean, my I'm two sides of the family. My Italian side, the guys were all like welders or, or tool and die makers, so they they were all they were all where they were four F or whatever the hell they were, where they couldn't go because the manufacturing guys wouldn't let them go because they were, and they, even though they tried to enlist. On my father's side, my uncle died in uh, Germany, and my father was in the South Pacific, and ended up with some kind of melanoma. That they ended up dying of brain cancer because they messed up taking the melanoma off. But my mom said, you know, if she goes, if this was a, a regular war, she goes, and it was your turn, you'd go just like your father and your uncle did. She goes, but this, oh, I don't yeah. know, I don't know what she goes, I don't know what this is. He says, well, I was not going to let you be the last person to die in Vietnam. We'd have talked about Canada. She goes, I don't. She goes, I don't know what this is. <laughs> but this, oh, my this mother, is, my mother was the same way. My mother kept saying, "I'm going to sneak into bed one night in your bedroom one night and, and stick needles in your ears to puncture your eardrums, so that you're you're going to be four F." And I said, "That's ridiculous." But but, you know, James Fallows, who um, has sort of fallen out of fallen out of favor, um, a terrific author for for. Uh, the Atlantic and a number of other places wrote a fascinating book in the early 80s called National Defense and one of the things he talked about was how unequal the war was in respect to who who the burden of the fighting you know fell on it is a, it's um, like that sure. in every, it's like that in every war Lou well no no I mean but I mean I mean I'm not sure it, it, it that was not the case in in the second world war uh, it, 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 the second world war came closer the elite the elite classes, the elite classes participated in the Second World War. Yes, the, but, the, but they, they was closer. They, they went into they went into the fight. What what Vietnam demonstrated, and it's one of the reasons we end up with an all volunteer force. What Vietnam demonstrated was that, you know, our our cultural elites were desperate to do anything they could to keep their kids from being. Oh, without a doubt. You know, well, we got to go to break, but let's continue to stay for break because I got to. I got a couple interesting stories because uh, um, Audrey's dad 
you know, made it with all faculties to like 98 years old. So I was able to actually talk to them about all this stuff, World War II. Very fascinating. SP Futures up 23, NASDAQ is up 70. Second day of rally. Uh, we'll see in today or tomorrow when the new balance sheet comes out where the Fed has erased an entire year of uh, shrinking the balance sheet in three weeks or not. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, Rumpbag, Stacks and Jackson. I'm Tom Howell. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 23. Nasdaq Futures up 66. Trying to do second day of a, a big rally we had yesterday. Over in Europe, we've got the uh, 
Well, we'll see what we got here as soon as my machine decides to... Or, or did I, or did I, I fat buttoned it? I don't fat finger button the wrong button here. Over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX up 192, 1.2%. FTSE up 70.9%. CAC around up 94, 1.3. So, uh, strong, strong rallies over there. Is the banks? Or the, evidently, the central governments have put so much money in now. We've even overloaded the banks' ability to screw us up. Nikkei down 100 points, 0.4%. Hang Seng up 116.6%, Shanghai up 21.6%, so kind of mixed bag over there. Uh, yesterday is a way of review, it's big day. Dow up 323, S&P up 56, NASDAQ up 210. Uh, it was a good day for a lot of the good guys. Uh, uh, bonds, uh, unchanged, 3.56, well below the 4% though it was. Uh, the Bund up 1 basis point, 231, Japan up 3 basis points, 0.33. We've got oil, which has been rallying. Up another 61 cents today, 73.58. Go figure. For money into the system, oil goes up. I hope people are getting this connection. Uh, Brent up 51 cents, 78.79. Natural gas down 4 cents, 213. We had gold up 260, uh, 1987. Again, trying to make a push for 2000. Silver up 46 cents, that's 2%. 23.93. Copper up 2 cents, 411. We've got Bitcoin up 266, 28,648. Again, it's not about. The assets, it's about how many dollars are in the system. I wish more people could, could get that. I think a lot of the people listening to the show uh, do. We have the U.S. dollar uh, down again, again. More dollars you put in the system, the more, more it goes down in relation to everybody else. The euro is up to one, almost 109, and the pound is at one, 1.23. Andrew, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is a 6.36 here in Chicago on March 30th. Starting off with sports and some basketball. Last night, the Lakers won over the Bulls, ending their game 121 over 110. And the Tim uh, Timberwolves lost to the Suns, ending their game 107 to 100. Uh, over to hockey, tomorrow, or sorry, to, uh, tonight, uh, we can look forward, quote unquote, to the Blackhawks playing the Blues at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. God, when are they gonna be done? <laughs> Hopefully soon. Geez, uh, over to Chicago weather, we're at 29 degrees currently, mostly clear skies, going to have a high of 54 today. And over in Phoenix, they're at 60 degrees, clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 67. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, same as it's been for a little bit now with the Kennedy construction coming in from the north side. You're going to have a lot of heavy delays, ranging from out Austin Avenue to Armitage Avenue. Uh, but something new today over on the Stevenson. Uh, looks like there was a crash in the outbound Stevenson near Central Avenue, uh, but gapers to the crash are causing very, very heavy delays on both sides. So uh, when going inbound, expect delays from about Illinois Route 171 all the way to about Pulaski, Pulaski Road uh, if you're coming in the inbound Stevenson. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Lou, uh, real quick before we get back on this Vietnam thing, uh, uh, the geniuses that are running our stuff here. We do, the Kennedy construction now is going to be three years after we finished the Jane Burnt. So it couldn't have been happening at the same time when you had the, the, the lane shut down anyway. So now this is going to go on and it's been horrible for the week, right? And how poor Matt Burns going to in the morning. He's have to leave God knows what time. But um, your one fallback position, if you were heading up north to, say, Milwaukee or someplace, and the, the Kennedy, if the Kennedy was mobbed, you could sneak out the Eisenhower and get on the Tri-State Tollway on the Eisenhower. But no, right. that was closed yesterday for a year and a half because they, they've chosen this particular time to fix that ramp. Can you think of anything more ignorant? Well, we can think of stuff more ignorant, but is that, is that rank right up there or what? 
that's a yeah that that's an unfathomable decision. Yeah, I mean that that messes. Well, I, I, I chief, I don't know. I mean, I, I see here in Denver the the push now to uh, not repair uh, not repair potholes and uh, and major issues on some of the streets to try to discourage people from driving. You know, even though our our, our mass transit system here is is terrible. Of course, they the the guys here want the the city leadership here wants you to ride your bike. Um, they don't ride their bike, do they? I'm pretty sure they don't. Yeah. But they want everybody else to ride their bike, and they want you to, you know, they're trying to make this more bike friendly and more pedestrian friendly because they want people to. They're trying again. This is these are ideologues. They are trying to force people into a particular behavioral mold, and uh, you know, it it it's a mess. Well, um, if you're going to do that, the way to do it. I mean, I worked at Pullman for a long time. Did some study on this. Actually, wrote some stuff on it. You could do it with some kind of a really good streetcar system or something like that where people can just hop on and go. And that, if it was all over, if it was cheap and it was safe, I, everybody would roll with that. But where, where's oh, that? Yeah. The, one, the, uh, the city had this, the best streetcar system in the world was, was L.A. And nobody will believe that. Hey, I, before I forget, though, I want to... The reason why I have to remember it every now and again, Louis, because I can't... I cannot find it. I'm going to have to go back through years of emails... Remember uh, Kathy Durbin? Yes. Oh, Kathy sent me this thing one day. I don't know where the hell she found it, but I cannot find it on the Internet anyplace. It was part of the Johnson tapes. And it's, and it, back in those days, the tapes were... I remember the, the White House recording system, yeah. Yeah, well, they he was on with some good old boy loser senator from south, down south, and the guy says something about... Uh, they're talking about the Vietnam War. And, and the guy goes... Uh, Lyndon Lyndon says to the dude, uh, the uh, uh, he goes, we can't we can't win this war. We can't win this war. I know we can't win this war. So the senator, the loser senator, says, Lyndon, nobody likes a loser. Nobody likes a loser, Lyndon. Nobody likes a loser. And uh, the uh, so he starts with the with that routine, and so the next day was like the next day or two. Jansen sends like 50,000 more troops over to Vietnam after telling this guy he knows we can't win. And so I was mentioning this one night to my our buddy Robert, who was an army brat and grew up in a, you know, where he was, actually was in Camp Lejeune for a while, where all the water was bad. And uh, he says to me, uh, you know, uh, I said, you know, if I, if, I, if I get to go to heaven, I might want to detour to hell for one day if I can, just so I could nail Lyndon Jansen right in the eye. And, uh, and Robert goes, well, I'll go with you. I mean, what do you mean? I was just kind of joking. He goes, I'm not. He says, a lot of those people that went that day were from the, the area that I was growing up, and a lot of them didn't come back, and they were my friends. I mean, he's serious about it. I mean, I guess... I, I mean, I I mean this, is, this, is, this is not far from anybody's thought process if, it, if, you, were, if you were a part of it. And I had, I had a cousin. I, you know, I just I had a cousin that came back. He was never the same. Bunch of dead end I jobs, hope, blah 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 blah. You know, just people. I, I hope I hold Johnson and McNamara accountable to a certain extent. Uh, I also hold the generals, the commanding generals, accountable. I mean, they should have. There should have been the military leadership, you know, go, uh, backbone to stand up and say, Mr. President, the way this is going, the way we are fighting this, is not going to is not going to win. 
you're not what, what are our political objectives define for me what we're trying to do here and we can structure the force component to deal with that or we could tell you it's unrealistic and and let's let's re restructure our, our our goals I don't think that conversation was ever held. I certainly don't, did, never saw a record of it. Well, do you think and, anybody and, has these kinds of intelligent conversations today? Uh, I, well, see, that was one of the most that was one of the most frustrating things for me about about Gulf War II, about about Iraq in, in two thousand three. I never heard a clear cut. This is why we're invading. Other than maybe somebody, I mean, there was some discussion of regime change, which, if you remember had been the stated goal of the United States from the Clinton administration. Everybody and their dogs said, we're going to get Saddam, we need to get Saddam Hussein out of there. And and Bush and his people said, okay, well, that's that's one of the goals. But it was never clear cut. And it was never, it was never, you know, focused the way I, I, I thought it should have been focused. Um, you know, admittedly, we, you know, we, we cleaned everybody's clock over there when we went in full force. But but it but it was the, the the move was based, I think, on a profound misunderstanding of, of Iraqi culture and what was gonna happen when we removed the we removed the strong man at the head. Same the same thing that happened in, you know, Afghanistan. Um, you know, some some places some places the people apparently uh, are willing to tolerate, you know, being a horrible, awful, backward place. And that's that's the bottom line. We, got, um, we had a tweet in from our buddy uh, Mike and was saying that the same thing sort of applies to Afghanistan, but in, in some ways on the military side maybe, but on the, on the social side, the, the people coming back from Vietnam here were, were considered losers. I mean, they, they, yes. they, were, they, and they, were, they were they were people that weren't let into the VFW hall because they were from Vietnam. I mean, it was a, well, it was it was really really bad. I mean, I I, I can't. Even, I guess we've talked you know, about it enough. But. I, I I was I was working as a as a an Air Force Academy cadet in Washington D.C. in the summer of 1976, and I was told specifically not to wear my uniform in the city. Wow. Well, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, but it was it was just a, and families were torn apart because the, the the dads had served in World War Two and the kids didn't feel like serving in Vietnam and what's the matter with you? Aren't you a man? And that that conversation always goes over, you know, like a fart yeah. in church. Uh, the, yeah. uh, I mean, it just it was just I can't. There were people. One of the guys, one of my uh, good buddies from the from the neighborhood, Louis comes back and he was a guy who was uh he did two or three terms over there, comes back and he's a. a Bartender and something else didn't even have a phone. Never really got. You know, all the, all the, all his buddies are all gone. All his, the girls he knew are all married to somebody else. Ne- never actually entered society really at all. And then he had serious heart problems. But another thing that's even more bizarre about it, since we got on the subject, somewhere in my voluminous files, organized files here, there's a study from some group of actuaries. This is you were still coming into the office, Lou. So it was a while ago. For some guy took everybody. This has to be ten years ago. Guy took a list of how the hell he found it. Uh, all the people who were in Vietnam, not military, just regular people. When I say regular people, contractors, whatever it was, anybody who had had something to do over there. The actual people over there. Well, actuarially, there were three hundred thousand 
more people dead than should have been just because they were there. I don't know if it was the Agent Orange. I don't know if it was the, the drugs everybody was doing. I have no idea, but just just being there, <laughs> whether the de- it was depression or whatever it was, but it was a dramatic amount of people, just among contractors and everybody else. I know guys at Pullman that were contractors. Remember uh, Lear Sigler, that, that name? Yes. If they're still around. Well, everything was so basically bleeped up. This guy's name was Ken Mannon, nice guy. He was a um, plant manager of PCW1 and became a pretty good friend. Uh, he, he, was, he was obviously older. He was over there, and he, he was like 23 years old, and he was a, uh, one kind of, some kind of an engineer. So they would ship planes over there just for deliveries and get paid, right? But they, you couldn't fly them in combat because they weren't all, they weren't all done yet. <laughs> so so they'd, be, they'd be sitting there with like the dashboard wouldn't be in the plane or, or you know, something the radar wouldn't be. So Ken's job was to get up in the morning, get a shipment of like 15 of these things or 10 of them or whatever, and drive to wherever the air base was in a Jeep after he'd look and see which roads were, were supposedly cleared of mines and not mines. And he'd have to go there and he'd install these things to make the damn plane work. <laughs> you couldn't write fiction like this. And he goes, some mornings, I, I, he goes, I wouldn't pay any attention to the, to the roads they said were mine, uh, were demined versus the ones that were safe. He goes, they didn't know what they were doing. I'd just go on whatever road I needed, and if I knew I had to get back before dark, or people were shooting at me out of the jungle. He goes, in the daytime, he's waving at you. If it's below dark, the same people are shooting at you. He goes, it, it, was, it was a world like you couldn't even describe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I mean... If you uh, if you listen to uh, I mean there's, there's a lot of music that comes out of there. I admittedly maybe this is why I've been hearing so much Creedence Clearwater Revival on uh, on Sirius lately. Um, you know that for whatever reason that those guys' songs became kind of the anthem for for uh, a lot of the guys over there. I think Billy Joel wrapped up what your friend just expressed in Good Night uh, Good Night Saigon. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and. You know, I mean, it, it was, and and again for the younger for the younger listeners, it this was a cultural moment that shattered. I, I think that's the right word. I, I, is, that shattered a generation of people. Yes. Either those who went, those who didn't, those who were for it, those who were against it, um, and, and it's one of the reasons why I'm I'm you know no matter. What kind of challenges we're facing now? It's still not as bad as it was in 1968, 1969, when we were having you know 200, 300 guys killed a week yep. over there. Well, I tell you a quick story. When I was the last, I would I would say it was the first year at Notre Dame where, where none of the people could have gone to Vietnam. We had the uh, lottery, but if you if you ended up in you went to Europe or someplace. You didn't. You didn't go to Vietnam. So it was kind of a it was kind of a transfer year. But all the guys ahead of me, the sophomores, juniors, and seniors, were the guys that had the strikes. And it was talk about a different world, Lou. They didn't. They didn't pay attention to any rules. You weren't supposed to have girls on campus. Eh. weren't supposed to drink. Eh. <laughs> it was like no, I mean, nobody paid attention to anything because they thought their whole world was why sh- why why shouldn't I smoke dope? I'm gonna be in a, I'm gonna be in a jungle tomorrow shooting at somebody. I mean, it was a whole different. It was it was it was anarchy from a whole different way. Now, my group was kind of a transfer group, and the guys younger than me, they were all the guys that knows that a grindstone never did anything wrong, went to law school, and my group was kind of a transfer year. My guys were my buddies were a little very brilliant people, but just uh, they were kind of a between the two, sort of revolutionary, sort of something. But two years after me, 
There was nothing like that. Nothing like that. Couldn't couldn't no couldn't have girls in the room. Couldn't nobody drank in the room. It was it was it was bad. I'm not, well, bad or, or uh, well, different. I mean, I mean, what what you describe is very similar to what my father described when he arrived on campus at the University of Tennessee in 1948. And a significant number of the guys he played football with and ran around with were World War II veterans. And he said that they didn't they didn't care about any of the campus rules. Oh, no. They, 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 didn't, well, they were, they were you know, 25 years old. Why should they? Well, that's right. They were 25. They had seen the most horrific stuff. And, and you know, friends killed and, and people blown apart and, you know, fought, you know, guys that fought across Europe or fought in the Pacific. And, and it all, all of that stuff seemed trivial. All those rules seemed oh, yeah. trivial oh, yeah. when you've been, when you've been through that kind of a, that kind of an experience. Anyway, I'm, uh, thanks for the, the quick trip. I wanted to just make a mention of that. That's the fifth, it was the fifth. All right, well, I got, I got, now that you got me going, though, I got one more, uh, one more quick story. And this is, this is horrible. A lady upstairs of where I live, very nice. And she's one of these that if nobody wants to talk, She's going to find a way to say hello to you, kind of a thing. I mean, not, not in a bad way, not in a busybody way, just because she's nice. But when she was young, she told me a story. She works at a Walmart. And there's a guy at the Walmart that didn't talk to anybody, just did his job, just ate by himself, blah, blah, blah. And he's older. And she says, I'm going to talk to this guy. And there's no, you don't want to do that. I'm, I'm going to try. But sits down with the guy. Sure enough, the guy kind of likes her. And uh, they start BSing. <coughs> and uh, about a week later, she says, well, he goes, well, I'm a Vietnam vet. He goes, she goes, well, okay, why is, that, why is that a problem? He goes, well, my job was when they got into the body count thing and there was some battle, my job was to go out and try and figure out from the blown apart legs and feet and heads and stuff how many of the bodies were on our side and on their side. She goes, you've got to be kidding me. No, he goes, that's why I'm, I'm not quite still all together to this day. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that, Lou? I, oh yeah! Unfortunately, I unfortunately, I can't. I can't even. Anyway, all right, we got a few minutes left. What the? Uh, what is going on? Uh, Ukraine, Russia, the Chinese. I mean, I think we need to understand. We we talked earlier. In today's world, oil is still a bartering thing. Now, is that is that why all of a sudden now we're there were some uh, leases given in the Gulf of Mexico today, and some in Alaska, and of course now all the the extreme liberals are all after this administration for. Going back on a promise, though, no more oil ever. Uh, do you think these guys are waking up and saying this this anti-oil no. world is a little early? I, I mean, I think I think so. I think what's happening in the Biden White House is is a a move. The chief of staff, because because the resident you know resident Biden doesn't really have much of a thought process. I don't think about this stuff. You know, any anybody. Anybody who comes down to the press conference, his first press conference after that terrible national shooting, and, and he may not have been aware of it. I, I don't know. But the first thing, words out of his mouth when he talks to the press are about chocolate chip ice cream. I, I, I'm sorry. You know, the, the guy is the guy's a dipstick. Obama knew he was a dipstick when he made him vice president, and he's a dipstick now. Um, I think I think his chief of staff now has, has started to try to move him, move them closer to the center on on certain issues, and, and energy is one of them. I don't know how he gets away from his statement that he was going to, you know, they were going to declare war on on oil and natural gas, and and they effectively have. But but I think I think that's all that's all that is. This is a posturing before the 
before the 2024 election. What's happening with Russia right now is they are... I'm starting to see more discussion about the, about the, the statement from, I don't know, what was it, 10 years ago, that Russia is basically a gas station with nuclear weapons. You're starting to see more and more discussion of that. Um, I think it's a function of, of again, the, the, the Russians' attempt to influence foreign policy with, with cheap oil, cheap gas, and, and you know holding their, their nukes as, a, as the only bargaining chip they have. Now, you'll notice Putin made an announcement that they're going to move nukes into uh, Belarus. Um, this is supposed to be a, a little bit of a saber rattle for, for NATO that hey don't you know don't cross any more lines here because I I've got I've got weapons close to the close to the theater. The Russians have effectively exhausted their uh, draw of 300,000 troops, and uh, and and the offensive that was associated with that mobilization that's been effectively blunted by the Ukrainians. The the question now is whether Ukraine has sufficient reserves to mount an offensive of its own with the modern equipment that we've that we've given it. One of the most stunning things that I saw uh, over the last couple of weeks was a rail car progression from Russia moving toward the front of T-55 tanks. So the Russians' frontline tank right now is something called the T-90. So the T-55 is going back not one, not two, but three generations of tanks. So these were tanks... Lou, do they still run? Were, Yes, these were they were held in they were held in in storage. Yeah, but who, who, long term storage. But right, my, my next question, I'll, I'll anticipate my next question about the nukes. Everything the the guys have tried, I mean, not everything, but I mean, they they found that the guy in charge of tank treads stole the money and bought himself a yacht, and the, the tank treads sucked. What what makes anybody think? I mean, all it takes is one or two, but what what makes anybody think that their their nuclear arsenal is up to speed, and the T-55s start and run. Well, the T-55s will run because they, they refurbish them and, and put them out there, but but these are these are tank systems that, you know, are, as I said, Korean War type vintage in terms of their fire control So, you, so you're saying the, the, the parts lines, the, the tread lines for those tanks and the refurbs for those, the ammunition for those guns and the new, the new barrels and everything are somehow still in production? No, they stored them. Okay, they've stored them. So the, the 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 line in the Soviet Union when we were looking at fighting them was, these guys have have an almost infinite reserve of weapons. They never throw anything away. They just put it into long term storage, and then they pull it out. And we're seeing that we're seeing that happen now. Um, you know, a, a tank. You know, it's being in a tank is better than not being in a tank. But but if if they're going to put T-55s on the field against even, you know, the basic stuff that the West is giving them. It, it it's not going to be it's not going to last. They're not going to last very long. Um, so so the the point that I'm making is that the, the Russians are are rapidly getting to the to the position where they just don't have anything other than some revenue from their oil and gas their 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 production lines. Or most of their advanced stuff have been shut down because of sanctions. Um, this is why they were trying to get closer to the Chinese to uh, to try to get some some you know some military production so that that they could keep their upgraded stuff in operation. 
the question is, I mean, I'm sure the Chinese are doing all kinds of things under the through the. Well, they're buying they're buying drones from Iran, right? Right, they're buying drones from Iran. Um, they're they're trying to uh, you know maintain some capability other than the, the very basic artillery and human wave assaults. But you know they've been losing in this offensive. They've been losing somewhere between eight hundred and a thousand people a day. That's uh... in terms of of chaos. And, and, and wounded and people are uh, my initial reaction to this because a lot of those numbers come from the Ukrainian side was yeah those are inflated and they're probably badly inflated what I didn't understand is that the Ukrainians have almost 100% coverage of that front with drones with cameras on they are out taking pictures of every single thing that happens out there what's up, what it's, kind it's of- almost it's what is the? Uh, we don't have a minute here, Lou. I mean, you, you watch TV here and you know, all this kind of stuff, and it goes back to Korea. I mean, remember the the movie or the movie and TV show Mash? Do the Russians have this sort of a huge, uh, shall we say, setup behind the lines to to deal with wounded? Do they have Mash units. Do they have ways to get people back to hospitals? I mean, do they do they have any of that logistical stuff that we have been so spectacularly good at uh, ever since George Marshall, for God's sake? Uh, do they have any of that? Um, the, their their military medical facilities are are quite primitive, and and moreover, the reports that you're getting from a number of the units that were forced into frontline action is that they are forcing their their walking wounded back into combat. Well, you know, guys with guys with wounds. The only the only way you're getting out of frontline service right now is to pay a tax to the senior officers in your unit. They are literally taxing their own people to to pay for. You know, if you want to get you don't you want to get evacuated. That back might to be the, the rear, that might be the most got to pay a tax to your. I'm going to say that might be the most worth it tax anybody ever paid. <laughs> get well, on an individual basis, but but yeah. what does it tell you about? Why well, I get it. Culture? I mean. Uh, just, we got a dash here a little bit. My uh, Audrey's dad told me that the guy who was uh, were drafting people on the south side of Chicago was the biggest crook. If you gave him dough, you got out. That is not surprising. World War Two. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. Yep. In some cases. All right, but take care. So anyway. you, you're gonna be able to ski for uh, like forever. Did you go last week? Uh, no, I, I did not. The uh, the roads up here were a mess, but uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be skiing into July, I think. Wow! All right, take care of yourself. Talk at you next week. SP Futures up twenty three. NZ Futures up sixty nine. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. Interested in promoting your business to a high end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, 
Give Chiromed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at Chiromed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give Chiromed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Well, we're back, stocks and jocks. I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SP futures up 22. Nasdaq is up 67. So we're still up. Not quite as far up as we were, but still up. We have Mr. Dan. Yes. Dan, how are you, buddy? Great. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, by the way, were your ears burning yesterday? Uh, I was talking to Russell. I was talking about the state of uh, the Chinese uh, fiscal and what they're doing with their uh, was it the Silk Road Initiative and whether or not they're paying on their debts and stuff. And uh, and he was thinking that a lot of the people that they've given the money to some of these you know countries. Uh, they're not getting any of the money back, uh, and they've been shut down for a while. So I said, you know, Dan is a guy, but Russell seems to think they've got it. They're in a world of hurt, money-wise, over there. And I was reading something last week about their mid mid-sized banks and all the provinces, and I said, we'll ask Dan if, you know, is you're 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 the closest nose we have to this grindstone regarding uh, what you know who's paying what? Are they are they paying on these dollar-denominated uh, debt and? Stuff or some of that in arrears. I mean, I, I don't hear anything about that anywhere. When it was such big news, when people were lending money that way, now you don't hear boo about it. Yeah. Well, part of the reason that you don't hear anything, and it, it's what I've been saying all all along about Chinese investments and and really staying away, just because there isn't a lot of transparency. Um, there's also a lot of new, not not a lot of news that comes out of there. So it really has to be, you know, somebody has to um, have contact there or really um, do a lot of digging to get the information and, and really what what I saw as a concern is that all this money that was going into property as they call it um, our real estate market if you will and the loans that were were being given to um, to the Chinese on on their local development in, in China um, the concern is just that their market is not as advanced as ours they don't they haven't been through 
the real estate cycles that we've been through here, I don't think they have the level of experience to, to understand it from an investment point of view or even a lending point of view. Um, the huge slowdown that they had with COVID was certainly not helpful. And it's very difficult to predict what I would call geopolitical risk and really knowing what's going to happen next in terms of a slowdown, uh, another potential slowdown. So yes, that market has been under a lot of um, pressure, the, the, the real estate market there. Um, you know, and their their economy, although there, there can be times when they, they make it look as if things are good and people are getting back to work and, and factories are running again and all that, I, I really think it's a very risky um, investment just because of the lack of transparency. And, and I would continue to stay away. I, I would not be looking at bonds of companies that are based there. I wouldn't even be looking at TikTok. <laughs> Or owning TikTok, talk for that matter. So. What, do you, what do you make of this uh, this Baidu thing and the thing running up this week? This crazy. I mean, for those just to set the background, and Dan can take it from there because he probably knows more about it now. But I know when they, when they first came out, uh, just a little bit of history. I, I, I'm pretty sure that when you and I started, Dan, and before a stock could be listed in New York Stock Exchange, first of all, it was a big deal to be listed on New York Stock Exchange. And I, I think you had to have only voting stock could be listed. I, I, I think that that was the case, and. And uh, you know, I mean, preferreds and stuff were listed, but the common, I think you had to, you had to, you had to be like a real company. And I think you had to have voting rights and stuff. Uh, and, and the common shares actually own the place. Well, of course, everybody got has gotten so greedy that when Baidu came out, I think didn't all the boy kick me if I'm wrong. I, I'm going to say all the assets allegedly stayed with uh, Jack, was it Jack Ma, and uh, and he, but of course, you know, the, the Chinese government could and, and seemingly did take those from him. The only thing that you, you had as a as a shareholder was an income stream out of Bermuda, correct? Wasn't it something along those lines? So there are the Yeah, I honestly haven't followed that that closely, but I do um, again I'll I'll repeat that I, I think from an investor's point of view or any listener's point of view, be very leery on on investments there and and you know there could be some benefits or there could be some additional struggles, I think, um, more likely to be additional struggles uh, going on with investing in, in China. So I, I think during this period, you've got enough risk itself when you're looking at a company and you're looking to invest in a company. Um, we've got a lot of really fantastic companies here. There's a lot of multinationals that are located in other parts of the world. I just, I, I just would say stay away because why add that dimension of risk right now when we have other dimension, we have other risks going on that are um, you know that we want to manage locally. What I'm trying, what I'm trying to get to here, Dan, clumsily as usual, is we've had a, this whole this whole spate of, you know, you and I have talked about this momentum trading when you yes. buy stuff before. But, but the point is, Baidu, I can never understand as one company, really. I mean, and especially since Jack Ma seems to have been placed in house arrest in Thailand for a year. He, ba- he finally showed up on TV again, like yesterday. Uh, but now the, the the word comes out that they're busting them busting Baidu up into six companies, and all of a sudden the stock's up like twelve percent. I'm thinking, yeah, who the hell has any that. idea of what of what the one company was, much less the six? Who that or did somebody from from uh, China bid the thing up two bucks, and the people here without even knowing what they're doing are just buying it up the rest of the way? How how does that even happen? You you hit it on the head, Tom. It's they're buying it up with, without even knowing. When I saw the six companies that it was being broken up to. I had the exact same reaction. I had no idea who, who, what they were or what they do. And, 
you really have to know when you make an investment on what you put in your money and you really have to be able to tell a story of some you know if a friend asked or or if somebody was to ask you you have to be able to say I never invest in somebody something that I don't totally understand and again my perspective on that is there's plenty of other great investments where I think you're gonna get better returns and be able to sleep at night but stay away from those those names that you don't totally understand for me personally I would throw in crypto because I don't totally understand it as much reading as I've done and people as I've talked to I still I do think there's opportunity and upside there but really if you understand it that's great um, if you're buying a company that you know technology company um, or a, a biotech company for example uh, whether it be based here in the states or overseas really know what you're buying really know the product um, I, we like to get to know management I think that's a very important part of it, it becomes very difficult when you're looking at uh, an organization in China with the Chinese management team because they generally aren't as forthright with information and if you saw the uh, proceedings for during the TikTok, you know the CEO talk and I, I wouldn't you know I certainly wouldn't trust him just based on those those hearings um, so when you have options outside um, I would stick with those options outside or more importantly those options here in the US inside Dan, what is a uh, I hate to be gross but talk about a, a circle bleep what is what is the point of grilling that guy and watching him squirm and trying to be evasive as he all all get out? When you got 150 million people here using the damn thing, what, what, I, 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 what are I, we doing? Agree, agree, I totally agree with you on that. It does. It's it's um, you know that's a that become and it ends up becoming a political issue rather than um, you know an issue of trade, if you will, or um, it ends up becoming a political issue, and that's a real tough one. And um, Frankly, I, I just kind of stay away from that. It's you know, both the uh, both the app as well as the uh, as well as the controversy. But I did want to hear what what the the, um, uh, the the CEO had to say, and I really was not impressed. Um, no, I mean, but, but I mean, the, but the questions are so off the wall. Anyway, I don't know if you yeah. watch CNBC. That blonde lady Stephanie Link, who loves to aggravate me, I think, but. Uh, she Me says, too. She, she goes, well, you know, I've got TikTok. And the guy says, why do you need TikTok? She, right. she says, well, I get recipes off there. I'm thinking, when's the last time you cooked? I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe she does all the time. But my, my, my first thought was, you need a recipe off TikTok. There's 90 bazillion recipe books out there. You, you go on YouTube and I'll, I'll just put in back ribs and it'll be 58. You need TikTok to get a I mean, what, what, what are you out of here? If, if the parents can't tell their kid knock the tick off off there or i'm taking the phone but evidently in this world we can't tell anybody to do anything i mean I, yeah no i i'm i'm 100 percent with you on that on that tom and, and i uh i was just thinking um kind of with uh, like a little bit of a smirk on my face she, uh stephanie should know that she can always google uh kenny polkari and, and, and see some yeah. of his recipes that are done and, uh, <laughs> and plenty of other people as well so um I have friends who are, you know, who really enjoy cooking, and they, you know, YouTube seems to be a good source, um, you know, cookbooks, kind of the old-fashioned um, way. But uh, yeah, I, I wanted to um, spend a few minutes. I, I was at a, another conference the last few days, and I wanted to. I, ha I came up with some good ideas, and I have some good ideas um, in this environment because we've seen such a, you know, a lot of change in the fixed income market. A lot of questions as to what's happening with uh, credit in general. A lot of speculation about a recession, which I still don't buy. Um, but I think that there is some opportunity here, 
And one of the things I learned from this conference, because a part of it was on alternatives, um, including private credit. And and one guy runs a who runs a uh, community um, community uh, fund, funding fund, if you will. It's smaller banks. This guy's been in the industry for forty years, and we talked for about an hour. And I really got a sense from him that what I was saying last time about the Silicon Valley, the SVB, and, and First Republic, and some of these other banks, is that they are one-off situations, they are mismanaged. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity because the contagion effect has really impacted not only the stocks of, of banks and other finance companies, but also the bonds. So there's been some really good opportunity. Um, and I just wanted to mention one that we have spoken about before, that we owned before, it actually matured in the middle of March. It's One Main Financial, and they have a bond. Uh, so they have another bond that we, we purchased um, when this one matured, six and one eighths, and it's due March fifteenth of two thousand twenty-four. The, the right now, uh, the yield to maturity on this bond that you can you can buy it at is nine and a half percent. Wow. The, and more importantly, there, there it has a bullish recommendation from all the analysts on Wall Street. So it's it's a consumer finance company. So it's in that it's in a sector that went down in contagion. Now, just prior to the SVB, this was trading at around seven percent. So when a yield goes up to nine and a half percent, the price comes down a little bit. This is a one-year bond giving you nine and a half percent. Everyone loves the equity. If you love the equity, you got to love the bonds because the bonds are higher in the capital structure and would get paid off first if there was some sort of restructuring. Dan, how connected? Uh, by the way, thank you for that. How how connected? When, when obviously you spend a hell of a lot of time uh, digging up places that nobody else finds in good places. What? How connected? In other words, if Credit Suisse hadn't been bailed. What is the credit default swap? I mean, how, or or if China all of a sudden their mid-sized banks implode, is anybody safe from that? I mean, I, I mean, can, can you really find the one port in a storm? I, I think you can actually. Um, I don't know that anybody's a hundred percent safe because there is this contagion effect. But if you really look at the, you know, at the. Um, portfolios of these banks and if you look at their customer base you know kind of to go on the other side of that if you look at the customer base and the way the money was being managed at SVB you had a very large number of startups in a part of the country that really has gotten hit the worst um, probably even like I'm pretty sure even worse than Chicago in terms of property values and in terms of people you know like an exodus from the city or from that whole area the whole Bay Area and you know property values are down oh, yeah, at least ten yeah. percent, and so that is to me that is a likely situation. I mean, an, an isolated situation. Now, that for example, does that have an impact here in Florida? I would say absolutely not. Um, it really doesn't. It really hasn't impacted anything that's going on here with the develop with development, um, or say the local regional banks here. That you know, I don't think there's any. So when you're when you're talking like that, and then I would say even even less so when you're going overseas to China. So, you know, if it's a Chinese bank that's dealing predominantly in their market, not one that's necessarily dealing here or with outside, with international investors, 
or international depositors, if you will. Um, if you're looking at, um, you know, comparing that with a, a local regional bank where you've done your homework here that doesn't have exposure, um, you could find a really good opportunity right now because I do think they're they're going to be somewhat protected. Well, how do you? How do you? I mean, Kevin was mentioning because I was I was telling a story about how you, how we if we wanted to we probably get together get a couple of investments and we could actually start up a bank or buy a little bank. I mean, they're not that yeah. expensive. Yeah, but no, absolutely. But Kevin said part of the issue there is when you're small like that, you you don't necessarily just do because you know now the dealers do them, which is again. I'll say against the Clayton Act, but uh, uh, he says it's really kind of hard to get enough good small loans. So the risk that the small banks actually have is they'll buy a piece of a loan portfolio from somebody like Goldman or somebody. So they're so if that thing goes under, it may take out a little bank that you never even knew had it because that's they're buying a share of a loan package from somewhere else because they really don't have the loan officers themselves to do it. Is it? Have you come across that at all? Yeah, I think the 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 way the, the ones that do well, the banks um, that do well, um, are ones that already have a, a, a targeted you know client base that that they're you know I think they're looking you know banks have to you know have competition as well. So if you're talking about regional versus another regional, and then you're trying to 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 um, move into that market, I mean. The thing right now, I wouldn't do it today. Credit is tightening. I, I think you're, I agree with you that there, there would be issues, I think, in terms of expanding or, or growing your bank. The area, and again, this was something from this conference, the area that is growing and is getting a lot of recognition is private credit. So private credit would be lending directly to an institution. So in that case, you and I in a small group would get together and start, say, a fund, um, and we would look at specific um, Situations, so there might be ten different situations where, say, um, the you know our client wouldn't have access to the banks, but they're we, we really think they're a good credit, so we would provide funding to them, and you could do that with a smaller number, and so this private credit trend has become very popular, even just starting this year. You know, now, who, who, they, who do they lend? Who do they lend to? Well, I'm going to give you one example of a company I met with, and I'm not necessarily saying this specific fund, but just because it's local there in Chicago, it's their, their headquarters is in downtown Chicago, but they're, they're a company that um, called Chicago Atlantic, and their, their um, customer base, if you will, are cannabis companies. Okay. Now, I'm not a fan of cannabis companies as a direct investment, and I originally said to them when they wanted to meet, not so sure this is really my thing. I've done, my, done some research, not our, not our thing. But then I heard their story, and they have a unique market niche. And they're not expecting this fund to be around for more than five or ten years. But right now, the cannabis companies cannot lend. They cannot, you know, banks can't lend to them. But a private credit fund could. Well, you can get a lender. A higher, so they're going to pay rate. interest in cash? They're, they, yes, and they're paying a higher rate, and they're getting oh, yeah. like 13%. So if you were in this fund, um, and, and next time I'm out there, I may meet with them again just, just because of the curiosity about how they set it up. And well, I, have um, a, you know, I have some inside info on some of this stuff, Dan, and the funny part is this place, and I'm sure they've got it all figured out because it's, it's a very odd situation that the, the comptroller of the currency in Illinois was actually encouraging these small banks to do business with the cannabis companies to the point where they said if somebody did that they would put twenty million dollars in deposits in their bank. 
because uh, a lot yeah. of the banks, the, the compliance people, uh, if they even think you're, 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 you know, if they think their, uh, uh, what do you call it, cash machine is in a cannabis place or on the same block, they're pulling it. Uh, they'll throw anybody out who they think is even next to one. You got to keep searching for this. So there's this constant. I think in Colorado, they form credit unions to do the sort of yeah. the same thing. So it's it's an odd place. I mean, I, I bet the interest the interest they get somebody's actually walking in the door with, you know, fifty grand in cash or whatever it is. I mean, I, and some, but now the question is, where do they bank? Because if 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 their bank gets a compliance office officer with a with a thorn so far up his behind, he's going to say we don't want you here because you deal with these people. I mean, it's I'll bet they have a constant struggle with their banking. Yeah, I mean the fund. The fund is um, basically, in this case, the lender. So they're, they, you know, they've attracted investors, and then they're they're lending the money directly. So, right, but so I'm saying, I'm saying that they, the whole point of this, is somebody needs a bank someplace. Yeah, you need a custody. You need, yeah. need a custody of money. Exactly. You need to write checks. You need to. Where does uh, uh, get, to get back to the consumer guy? When you say a consumer credit guy, I remember when I was a a Ute. Uh, and watch the Cubs because it's opening day today and the Sox every uh-huh. night. The biggest the biggest sponsor used to be Household Finance that I think got bought yes. by HSB. I have no idea. But I don't, I, I didn't know what the, they did. What is, when you got credit unions, you got banks, you got credit cards, where where exactly does a consumer finance company fit in? I mean, do they lend to small businesses to, for, yes. like, for like their furniture on their showroom floor? I mean, who, who's, their, who's their typical customer? It would probably be everybody else. It would. It would be. It could be individuals um, who are looking for loans for for something, you know, that's not necessarily being um, financed through banks. You know, they may have be having trouble. Um, it 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 can be insurance. You know, they could be um, lending. You know, they could be um, selling insurance products. On top of that, um, there's. I would say they're they're generally going to be small businesses. I think your example is probably. You know, that would that would probably be the example. And they probably can lend at better rates than if you were talking about a, you know, another facility or another another say small bank um, that would that either wouldn't take it or would consider it high risk. Uh, so this is like a relationship business, and these are ongoing. Um, you know, they have these relationships with these small businesses over time. Um, there's a, the group that I mentioned, One Main Financial. They have about 1,400 locations. Um, they're not here in this area, um, so I haven't seen any of their um, branches, but they have about 1,400. They're based in Indiana, Jefferson, uh, Evansville, Indiana. Um, and as part of our research, we're going to actually try to see one of these, uh, you know, kind of go in as if we were a customer and really see, you know, what they offer in terms of customer service, which has to be better than a lot of what the banks is offering oh, right yeah. now. But then, but but then also not only the rates, but the types of loans, as you're mentioning. So we're we're continuing to do some some further research to find out, but yeah, it would be like a household finance. So what, be, um, what are you going to say you are a guy building a hot dog stand or what? I have a business. <laughs> we could be expanding my business, right? Yeah. What's well, so? What do you um, so? What are you going to do? Buy a second yacht? <laughs> or or Tom is the roof guy that hasn't put on any roofs yet. Was telling me that. He's gone now to a nicer neighborhood, and he's sitting on a houseboat watching them do the workers do the, the repairs on the roof. So, oh god, <laughs> there's a guy. Uh, speaking of roofs, there's a, there's a dude in the southwest suburbs. And he, might, he must go somewhere else. But the guy, he's really professional, really good, very well dressed. Whenever there's a, like a major storm, if like a hailstorm and stuff, 
people don't even know they have damage on their roofs and he'll ask if he can inspect them and and if it turns out they have the right amount of damage he'll show the people how to make a claim to their insurance company and he says by the way uh you know if you want he's got at least let me give you a bid on the roof and people say well sure i'll let you do that and the guys i think the dude's put on i'm gonna say 15 roofs right around the area where audrey's at in the last year and, and you know you know what these things cost i mean I, I i like to think that i know something about construction a roof and a nice you know not even a, wow. a big house they're 80 80 thousand bucks for a, for a nice new roof, I mean, I'm like, for oh, God's that's sake! A, yeah, I, that's what they cost here. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a number. <laughs> that's a number. I've been back you know, when I when I was a kid. What the guy you throw another layer of asphalt down there it was what? A couple of guys take a day, and it was a couple of grand at most, right? Now, that, that that ship has sailed. No, I, I agree. I have talking about real estate, though. I have one other. Oh thing yeah, I please go ahead. The, the the other conference that I was at was was a commercial real estate conference, and just to give some some feedback to the listeners, the a lot of people are asking what's going on in commercial real estate. I will say that in general, as, as is probably obvious, the multifamily public storage and even some industrial is fine. Everyone's concerned about office space. Um, the you know, But the leases on this office space are seven to 10 years. They're looking at 2026, 2027 when, when the shoes start to drop. There really haven't been any delinquencies. Um, these companies, the thing that I found interesting, Tom, is that when you talk to a company that, that invests in banks and small banks for example they're very bullish and they're very optimistic when you talk to the people the 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 real estate um people on the alternative side you know private equity and that they're a lot less optimistic on especially office space they lump it all together and call it commercial real estate but they're very concerned about office space coming down the road in a few years we haven't seen the fallout yet because these leases aren't coming due you know, the average lease will come due in 26, 27, and that's when there could be fallout. One thing that I, one name that I've mentioned before that I'm going to repeat um, in one area of the real estate market that I like is self-storage. Um, SELF is global self-storage. The stock sold off a little bit, but they just announced earnings that were, they were up like 34% um, in the last quarter. This is a strictly 100% self-storage um, business, very good, strong cash flow business, and most importantly, when we're looking for income, they just increased their dividend from six percent to seven and a quarter percent. Dan, so if, you ever, company, if you ever rented one, you'll know why their cash flow is so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And they have a market. They have, yeah, a, they wow. have a market. And one final thing is the third part of the conference was on um, impact investing. And that's the area where this ESG, which believe it or not, an ESG conference taken place in Florida. But there were a number of professional athletes, including Mike Tyson, um, who spoke and just talking about the areas of, of investing, whether it be in education or, you know, in, in, in particular areas, areas of investing. But I, I think I may have found someone who might be a good addition to your show when I, when I was there, an athlete who, who uh, is also a lawyer and a... Um, a uh, investment person, Mike Tyson. No, not <laughs> not Mike Tyson. He was he was just one of the names that was there presenting. So, like, so saying, when, when did he go to law school? He must have snuck that one by us. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was interesting. That particular meeting um, was standing room only, but a lot of the other presentations on the 
you know, on you know the other investment topics were were you know you could have a whole road road to yourself if you will, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> God, but I tell you, those self storage places, I think they're doing real well. And, you know, you're you're spot on on the on the commercial real estate. I have a couple of uh, clients that do uh, commercial real estate, and the guys that are doing the multifamily housing are are just doing really well. And I yes, I don't know, yes. about, I don't know about the office stuff. I mean, I don't know if anybody does that, but. I'm, Let's put it this way. These couple guys are happy they're not in the office stuff. I don't know how bad yes. it is. But. Dan, thank you very much, buddy. As usual, good yeah. stuff. This one main financial, we're just definitely going to check it out. It sounds like you're going to deliver a, another report maybe in a week or two. So you're flying yeah. to Evansville to, to masquerade as a guy who needs a loan. I will do that. <laughs> well, they have offices all over the country, so hopefully I'll find one Well, closer. if you find one closer to Chicago, I think we need a cocktail, bud. Sounds, sounds good. SP Futures up 21. Nancy up 70. Be right back. Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
Hello, I'm back slash and Jackson. I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 25 now. NASDAQ is up 90. We're a little bit of a shot here. We got jobless claims are 198 versus 195. I don't know why that goose us a little bit here, but something did. Uh, uh, Dow Futures up 167. We're continuing on yesterday, and we're, I guess, doing something very predictable with the amount of money that's been pouring in by the by the Fed. Uh, DAX up 169, 1.1%. FTSE up 64.8. CAC around up 88, 1.2%. We're in Asia, kind of a mixed bag. Nikkei down 100. 0.4%, Hang Seng up 116.6%, Shanghai up 21.6%, so let's say more up than down there. Yesterday, big rally, Dow was up 323, S&P up 56, NASDAQ up 210. Um, we have bonds, not much not much change in the bonds. Uh, matter of fact, they're unchanged, 3.57. The Bund up positive 0.05 to 2.35, and we have Japan up 0.3 basis points to 0.34. Still trying to get back to that 0.5, which is the top end of their range. Uh, but can't do it, or at least haven't yet. Well, up another 62 cents, 73.59. It's 0.85 percent. Right up 47 cents, 78.75. Natural gas down four cents, 2.14. Our Bob down a penny, 2.65. We've got gold up 3.70, 19.88. Silver up 56 cents. That's a big move, 2.5 percent. 24.03. We'll see if they break through there. They keep, they keep getting near this 24 and getting slapped back down. Maybe this time for sure. Uh, I think it's, we're all really trading the dollar here. I keep saying that. Copper up two cents, 411. Uh, we've got Bitcoin up 309, 28,691. We have the US dollar, as you might expect, down 0.5%. Uh, the euro's up to 109, which we haven't seen in a while. And the pound is pushing 123 and a half, maybe almost 124. So they're, they're inching up as the dollar sneaks down. Uh, what do you have for us, Andrew? Traffic weather sports. All right. Uh, starting off with sports. Actually, here at 736 here in Chicago on uh, March 30th. Now starting off with sports. Uh, last night, the Bulls lost to the Lakers, ending their game 121 to 110, and the Suns won over the Timberwolves, ending their game 107 over 100. Moving over to hockey tonight, the Blackhawks are going to be playing the Blues at 7:30 p.m. Chicago time. Now moving over to Chicago weather, it is currently 29 degrees, uh, partly sunny, can have high of 54. And over in Phoenix, they're at 60 degrees, clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 67. Now, over to Chicago traffic, it's looking mostly the same as our first hour, maybe a little bit more traffic all around. Um, but yeah, expect pretty heavy delays if you're coming in from the uh, north side, if you're going through the Kennedy. Traffic is going to be causing a lot of delays for, or, or excuse me, construction is going to be causing a lot of delays for probably for, as long forever, as it goes on. Forever, forever. Yeah. Um, but it looks like the gapers from the crash on the Stevenson have cleared, however the uh, traffic on the inbound side has not, so still expect some delays around uh, Route 171 to about Pulaski Road. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Uh, I think John is uh, looking for a link here. He sent me a text. Oh, I just got him on the phone. Okay. The uh, um, Yeah, so let's see. Eight and a half years on the burn interchange, so let's call it another, they say three, let's call it six on the Kennedy God, it's like a decade and a half out of a lot of people's lives. That's not bad. And then we got probably got to start on the Ryan the minute that's over. Do we have Jan? You do, Good morning. Are you are you zooming or are you phoning? I'm phoning today. <laughs> well, the the, uh, the zoom is, sounds better, but we can do we can go with the phone. Sounds yeah. good for me. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, you're you're uh, you're breaking up. I'm just getting so used to how clear the zoom is. Let's put it that way. Hey, uh, you're gonna have a a singular pleasure on Monday that you don't know about yet. We're going to have a guest in studio of a young lady named Katie Rather, who is making presentations to various uh, uh, 
colleges, med schools, and some research she's done on an orphan disease. And I, told, I talked to you about her maybe a couple months ago. Well, she's yeah. going to come in the oh, studio yeah. on, mm-hmm. on Monday, and she's going to brighten our day. She's a terrific kid. And a uh, kid, she's a senior at Loyola. Uh, and just special in every way. Uh, one of my good friends, it's her niece. Um, and uh, she told me what a great kid she is. I met her, and boy, she, she didn't exaggerate. And, uh, but we'll t- I, mean, I wanted you on because uh, it's interesting the amount of work and research people do and if they proceed, you know, I don't want to, we don't, we don't want to grill her too much on her first day and scare the hell out of her. Uh, who owns it? I mean, how does, how does, how do you get all this basic research to the point where all of a sudden somebody's got a 17 year, 20 year patent can charge whatever they want when everybody else seems to have done all the work? Uh, we, we want to touch on that a little bit, but mainly, mainly, uh, how, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that are doing really good things and you wonder, <laughs> and you wonder, uh, well, how they're stuck with the leadership they have, but anyway, it's um, it, it's a real it's a real good human interest story. She went on a, uh, a volleyball scholarship and messed up her shoulder, and uh, so she can't really play volleyball anymore. But uh, Loyola's hung on to her scholarship. Loyola's a class act, I think, and she's doing medical research. And uh, boy, I tell you what, I, I could never do that at that age. I took I got I got rid of basic chemistry, Hamilton Hoffman's course, and. Got a couple A's there and said, I'm not going down the, down this road anymore. You can keep biochem and the rest of it. But she obviously said, I'll take on this biochem and kept going. So she's a better person than me in that regard. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun, John. Uh, well, I'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, so what, uh, you'll be kind of listening in uh, this morning. What, uh, I'm, you know, between, and I'm trying to, I was trying to tie together uh, Russell yesterday with what he thinks are, are problems with the, the Chinese political issue over there with the, uh, the you know, the, the, what are the it's not the Silk Road. It's, was it the something road? What the hell are they call it? Uh, yeah. The, uh, and how they've lent money to all these people. And just as a way of, of background, it's it's not unusual for company, for countries and companies to do that. I know when I was at Pullman, uh, well, when you hear about Kellogg, the guys who, uh, you know, they have all the issues with the asbestos. And uh, so forth. Well, no, they're not the who's the who's the guys with the uh, Kellogg Brown and Root bought the invest asbestos company, right? But anyway, Kellogg used to be an engineer. Well, is the engineering firm used to be owned by Pullman when I was there, and they would design you know uh, refineries and things like that for people. But when you went to build them, Jen, the say you went to build one in you know Qatar, Qatar, whatever you want to call it, and uh, they they don't really they didn't really have the financing to do it. Okay, but now the refinery is going to make money. Or if it's a big water treatment plant somewhere, uh, it, with a special taxation like they are here. I mean, the, the Metropolitan Sanitary District is a separate taxing levy. So the, you know, Pullman through Kellogg would get the financing through the Import-Export Bank and allow uh, the plant or water treatment plant or whatever it is to be built. But I think they pretty much stuck, you know, I don't know their whole inventory, Jim, but I think they pretty much stuck with facilities that could stand on their own money-wise. So you weren't just building a road in Saudi Arabia or, or Qatar. You, you were building a, a, a facility that had income, and the income was dedicated to paying the loan back. And it, and it got your, your people, your engineering firms, your people, if there's any maintenance contracts and stuff, it put on a good face for them. It, if it was a the facility was you know put up properly and 
you know, and it worked, <laughs> and uh, it lasted a long time. It gave not only the company, you know, Kellogg or whoever, and the, and the contractors who put it together, when I mean, Kellogg didn't construct it, they just did the engineering. It did gave the U.S., it gave everybody kind of a, a, f- a foothold in a, in a really good way. I mean, you did something for somebody. By the way, we lent you the money. We're getting paid back. You know, it's not a... Uh, it doesn't seem to me like China did the same way. They kind of went in and, you know, I think their loans were to the to the other governments, weren't they? Which is, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's yeah, a, if that's a smart it's thing. It's an example of predatory lending, Tom. You know, yeah. Which we feel all too much of, but um, they, they're targeting countries in Africa and elsewhere, um, not for their credit worthiness, but I think for their strategic value to Chinese you know, geopolitical interests, and have made loans under under sort of circumstances that are designed to make them go into default at some point. China uses its own people pretty much to build and staff these facilities too. So you've got really the expectation that they're, they're really building, you know, outlying bases in places they've chosen and done it under the guise of doing it with, you know, some sort of generous intent to bring these countries up and to make money for them. But then, you know, they do end up in default. China, you know, what's happening to me? You know, office buildings here. You know, they end up holding the you know title to these things. They they have not a base of operation that they own, and you know this maybe was the plan all along. I suspect it, it probably was, uh, but it isn't. It isn't the way you you know like it was the, the idea behind the Panama Canal or even the Suez Canal. Eventually, local control would you know, be the, the the destination which you were shooting for. I don't think that was ever the case with Belt and Road in China. Well, I mean, what do you, the, the governments, the places where they go, you can't trust those people. The, the government will change in two years, and they say, I don't owe you. Well, that's what I, I'm saying. They yeah. pick these places for that very reason, because they know they're unstable. And, you know, if, if China ends up you know, owning a, a facility, whatever it is, um, whether it's a railroad or a factory or something else, even a road system, um, and can you know, dictate how it's to be used and at what expense. They don't care which corrupt government is in place. They'll, in fact, be controlling more than the governments there can control because they've got the infrastructure. Oh, so, so they're, they're actually going to—they actually going to have a colony of people there. I, I didn't realize that. So you're yeah, talking, about, yeah? Okay. And and not apparently getting along very well with you know the indigenous populations of these countries either. That's that's also a sore spot with Belt and Road. Well, you know, it's 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 funny. It's not necessarily, well, maybe it was uh, their idea. I uh, I have not a client, but a friend uh, who was involved in sort of something like that. Uh, the person has a mathematical uh, John. What's what's the kind of uh, I mean, the kind of mathematics that I was pretty good at was uh, you know all the stuff that had like an answer <laughs> type of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, be it, be it algebra, be it geometry, be it something, all the way up to calculus. But there's all this, there's also branches of mathematics that, that actually organize things in sort of a mathematical way, but there isn't really, uh, there's not like answers to it. It's like salesman coloring problems where you try and minimize the route when you have all the different destinations where you're you're constantly pivoting and testing and things, and, and, you, and you minimize the trip, but there isn't really... It's not like there is an answer that you could teach a fourth grader like me to 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 come up with the answer. Here it is. It's two point two, you know, type of thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, this person was involved. Uh, they were trying to have a, a 
scanning, a, a worldwide scanning mechanism where the United Nations would, in, under the guise of their, their sports facilities, which is even more bizarre, they were going to go in and they were going to essentially take the same sort of countries as you're talking about. Uh, they wanted to take some property that they would be donated, and the property would be some of these sports facilities, maybe a hospital or two. And oh, by the way, hopefully it would be on water where they would have a mechanism like a port where the port would uh, would scan a ship with this incredible scanning system they have now, which not, or they'd scan a container, not the whole ship. They'd scan each container. And they they and evidently the scanning system's so good that you, they can't even... You, they, you, it's not just... Uh, spherical object, you know it's a basketball. <laughs> you know, it, it comes up different than if it was a globe, which is I, you know, way behind my pay grade. Anyway, but the idea was you were going to scan the container in you know, outer Zimbabwe, and when it got to New Orleans, you'd scan it, and if, if the scan had changed, you would reject it, because obviously some smuggler got there in the meantime, and you didn't want to take delivery of it, whatever it was. And, uh, and the, the process for doing this, same thing, where at the end of the day, the United Nations essentially ended up with a footprint in that country because it would be in a spot where they own the scan in the port, or at least the scanning part of the port. They now don't own enough field for the soccer, enough property for the soccer fields, and the, you know we're talking about probably a few square miles. You know, not enough for an army base, but enough for a spot. Which I wonder is, is sort of like what the Chinese appear to be doing, although they're you know type of, it's sort of a foothold, for lack of a better term. Is that uh, that's exactly that's exactly it, Tom. And of course, it's it's conceived and run for the benefit of Chinese interests. It, it isn't as if this is kind of you know, anything with an altruistic end to it. Um, it's about getting um, positions of power and influence where they want it, where there's other resources they can use that they can export back to them uh, under favorable conditions and terms. Um, and it's, it's all about you know, enlarging an empire that they feel is kind of theirs for the taking. It, it isn't like anybody seems to be competing with them. I mean, at, at one point, the U.S. was doing something like this um, in a lot of places um, with more or less success. Um, but it isn't something that, that seems to have given us any kind of a plan for how to combat other countries doing this, too. And I suspect the Chinese see an opportunity that uh, was largely left to them. So... Um, well, one of the reasons for, for seeing a void and trying to fill it, but but I do think we have to take into account how this is likely to change um, the balance of power between China and a lot of the rest of the world, including us. Well, the question is the the alliances. Um, not speaking out of school here because it's a long time ago, this thing sort of blew up, uh, at least with this person. And I'm not so sure if they keep track of whether it went any further than that. But when you went to the places they had the dictators. And you talk to these guys. Well, I mean, this person didn't, but somebody did. They don't care about a hospital. They don't care about a soccer field. It's what's in it for them. And for every every time you, I'll say it would cost a thousand bucks to scan a container or five hundred bucks. The guy wanted a, you know, ten bucks of it or twenty bucks of it to, to go in his go in his Swiss bank account. Not even the bank where they. And I think the, these people got tired of it and said, "We're not doing that." And I don't know if the if the United Nations stopped and. And China literally picked up the ball. I mean, I, I don't know, but I mean, when you when you start getting out of the out of the country, John, the, the corruption in these places is like. I mean, I've heard stories that if, like, if, if Bill Gates, you know, wants wants to build a water treatment plant someplace, 
um, if if he has people on the ground, like his people that he like puts up there to, to manage the, the the supply deliveries and God knows what else you need to build a water treatment plant, he's gonna he's gonna lose fifty percent of his money, either in shrinkage or something something. If he doesn't have f- people on the ground, he's gonna lose seventy five to ninety percent of the pipes will disappear and all the other stuff. But it, it is it is really really hard to do business in these areas. And it's uh, you know, another example of that too, Tom. You know, just in the last day, you know, there's there's new indictments against Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX fame. Um, and I guess he's going to make a plea today. He's probably going to plead not guilty because I'm hopeful that the indictment is that he um, submitted a forty million dollar bribe to China in November 2021 to get somebody in China to unfreeze. FTX's or Alameda's crypto assets that they put a freeze on because they wanted to have this available for trading and God knows where it was going to end up I suspect in some you know, Democrats campaign fund because these indictments are all tied to ways of circumventing now wait a minute nobody can, pr- nobody can break into anybody's crypto you gotta have your password if anybody believes all that crap I, I don't know I just I feel like I'm too old of a cat to be screwed by a kitten but I well, I, but the bigger issue, I think, is, is and it's, Jeffrey Tucker talks about it in the Brownstone Institute piece in the last day or so. How does the Sam Bankman Freed know who to contact in China? First of all, I mean, to make a bribe, you have to make sure you're bribing the right person. And, and second, how do you know if that bribe is likely to be Janet, I think I, your time? I think they'll tell you. Well, but, but they don't just tell anybody, Tom. Um, I think that's, that's the point of Tucker. I, 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 Bankman-Fried had, had help to do this, and who was helping him? There's probably somebody likely to benefit from having the assets unfrozen. And it wasn't just Sam Bankman-Fried, believe it. Let me, uh, I'll just tell you about kind of a, a real quick story. For a while, I was in the uh, Economic Club of Chicago. And I, after Jim Tyree died, I really didn't know anybody, so I just I kind of got out of it. But I was in there for a while, and I... If you show up for the cocktail party, well, one night I show up and uh, all these guys show up at the last minute. So I'm there, you know, it starts at 6. I'm there at 6 and there's, like, nobody there. Of course, at 10 after 6, it's mobbed. And I started talking to uh, this lady who was worked at the Chinese consulate. And it was interesting because I had had, John and I were doing the show, and somebody had called up and said, I was interested in putting a plant over in China. Uh, do you know anybody? And I'm like... I didn't. Well, sure enough, the conference was that night. So it turns out, I asked the lady, hey, I got somebody who asked me, uh, you know, what's the deal if they want to put a plant over in China? And she goes, well, you come to the consulate, and we'll, 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 uh, there's people that will sit there and talk to you, and they'll figure out you know, what it is you're trying to build and who, who your clients are and if they're already over in China and blah, 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 and we'll find a spot for you. And, uh, and, and we'll let you know which would be the right province, and we'll basically work you all the way through it. And, uh, and I'm sure, that, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that they would, you would have your, your uh, person <laughs> who, who would guide you through this whole mess and would expect to be compensated uh, very heavily, and I bet that person was part of government, or, and, and whoever they all down the chain. I bet they were. They would be a son or nephew or somebody who's in the party, and uh, I, 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 I think you just. I think you just. I think you just ask. To be honest with you, 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're shy about it. I honestly don't. From what I, from what I heard, I mean, I, I, don't, I have no idea. I never pursued it any, any further than that or anything. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't dig into it or anything. But I'm just saying, uh, uh, you know, the I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that they're. Matter of fact, uh, Mike just, just uh, uh, Mike says Mike Murphy said that they give money to build roads. I'm saying, but now that's not that's not the same as building a refinery for somebody. If the refinery actually is going to have an income stream that you are getting paid out of, right? It's not like what Russell was saying. A lot of these these countries are telling the Chinese, "We're not paying you," uh, from what he's hearing, which is interesting because uh, they also have people working for three years, and I, I think they, and, you know, I think they have an issue. But yet, the, the amount of corruption elsewhere, Jan, is just it's, it's spectacular. I mean, it's, it's we're corrupt here, but not even it's, that, it's built into the. You know, the whole idea of the project, the, the trouble is it's, it's never really built fully into the budgets for them. No. And whether it's rebuilding an interchange like in Chicago or an expressway or anything, uh, there's, a, there's a amount on paper that always gets doubled or crippled before the thing's finished. But that doesn't come close to, to really showing what's at, what's at stake other than just these dollars because it's involved promises of other business or, or kickbacks someplace down the road that aren't factored in that are, are driving up the price of other projects that we haven't even thought about yet. So, Well, John, the simple way, I mean, to, I mean, I'm not talking about, a, you know, some dictatorship and God knows where, the simplest way to end corruption um, and, and road projects and things like that is just have the bidding process be very clean. Because if, if people earn, I'm going to say, what they are supposed to earn on a project, because you're supposed to make money in what you do. I mean, I'm not, boy, oh boy, I'm sure... If everybody thinks that I'm, I'm going socialist on him, I'm not. When you do something, you're supposed to make money on it, right? Uh, but there's an amount you're supposed to make, you know. And if, and if you if you put a road in for, you know, the, the cost of the road is five hundred million dollars, I'm going to say, the firm that brings it in from start to finish should make at least ten percent, maybe more, to make fifty million dollars on that. I don't think is is ab- above the world, do you? I mean, certainly 40 to 60. As part of it, what if we also get rid of all the set-off programs where it has to be minority-owned or women-owned? Well, no, but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying, Janet, is, is, is if, if, the, if the project is bid out in a way where the, the guy, uh, the, the, the company is going to make $100 million, everybody knows, because this economics is this powerful, I honestly believe it, everybody knows there's 50 million, I use the term, in play. Right? Now, I'll give you like, a couple of minutes. Here's a very interesting story. Two places that connected with a bridge, right? Chicago Board Options Exchange and the Board of Trade, and now the Mercy was over on whatever. When, when, you, when I did a, a trade, I'll compare this to today, when I would be, say, in the OEX pit or if I, whatever pit I was in, if I wanted to do trades in other pits, I had the ability to run over there and try and do the trade myself, but everybody stays kind of in their same spot, you know, as I did. It was in the same spot for 20 years. But So if I wanted to put a spread on an IBM, I would give it to the broker in IBM, and he would work the order for me. Okay, well, the, the, the list price for an option trade from a broker on the floor for another member was a buck. And economically, everybody knew that people would work for a little less than a buck. So if you did... Thousand contracts with a guy over course of a month, they would always discount you down to six fifty. It was like thirty three, thirty to thirty five percent off, and that was the number because that was the fair price. So you just played the broker. That's what you did. Now on the CME and on the CBOT, the exchange made everybody hold the price. 
other words, you had to pay the buck. So all of a sudden, that business got it was it was a little more than people were willing to spend. So all of a sudden, all the guys who worked the phones became uh, guys searching for business for you, right? So if you brought somebody to the customer, the guy in the phone wants twenty five thirty percent of the of that particular order because they found it for you. So what is what essentially meant was there's thirty percent in play that's over and above. I'll, I'll call it slippage. I'll call it graft. What we have. So it's if that's the beauty of guys like uh, you know a, a friend of mine. So I, that's the beauty of guys like Mayor Daly and people like that. They know that the expressway profit should be fifty million and the numbers sixty. So they feel very comfortable saying, John Flanagan is running for judge. I need somebody to buy five tickets, or I wouldn't call you. My flunky would call your flunky, and then the five tickets miraculously get bought. But if if you actually were making just the fifty, like that was the fair number. Your response is going to be, hey, it was a fair auction. You got a fair price. There's nothing left. Right? People wouldn't be shy about that. Everybody knows when you made too much. And everybody knows that it's not exactly all yours. So the beauty of being a politician is they have all this money, call it graft, but it's never in your pocket. It never runs through your checking account. It, it, is, it, it means that if, if I want John Flanagan as a judge, I got 50 people that I can go out there and say, John Flanagan needs a thousand bucks, and all of a sudden you got fifty grand for your campaign. Doesn't cost me a dime, right? right? That's the. I mean, it's it's so subtle, but that's the genius of it. Am I wrong? No, it, and it, it, is, it rises to the level of genius, and it's, it's pervasive. Well, it's 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 a business. It's just a different kind of business. I mean, politics. People say it should be run like a business. It is the business of politics. It's just, it's just with the idea of investing in judges these days, Tom. Has a real bad smell in my shop. Oh, me too. Well, I, mean, I just I just use that as a. Don't trust the judiciary at all. But it could it could have been an alderman. It could have been an alderman. Could have been something. Else. Actually, I, I mean, my guys. If you ever showed up on a Wednesday night, I, I would say that virtually everybody. That now you need a lot of support to become a judge, but the people that support you, yeah, Jan, you could, you could be at Twenty Sixth Street for your whole life and never bump into any one of those people. They, they don't. You're going to get criminal cases. Depending how much people contribute, too, will dictate whether you're 26th Street or on the appellate court. Well, the appellate court. court, if you think it contribute to the appellate court, yeah. I mean, but if you're a big company, you're, you're making the bet. Yeah. Relations, you know. Well, if you're a big company, you're betting that somewhere during the next decade, you're going to... You can do some good, yeah. so to speak, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're going to be somewhere where that person has a, 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 an issue with. Yeah. But, yeah. So, hey, uh, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to Monday. You have a nice weekend. Who knows? Maybe I'll even see you one of these days. You know, it's. I hope, Tom. You should have come to that thing last weekend at the German place. You'd have loved it. Oh you, yeah, well I know that place. I just have never been to the, the shooting gallery. Well, you, you've never been in the double secret room either. <laughs> anyway, S&P futures up twenty five. Nasdaq futures up eighty one. Back tomorrow, stocks and jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. 
Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.